You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, friends, we're partway through a, um, a brand new series uh, entitled These Three Remain. And uh, we're picking up on the words of Paul when he says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And of course, there's a double meaning to this series because we're reminding ourselves of the fact that these three qualities, these three spiritual values will remain uh, in the future here at Northside. Uh, Announced last week that I'm leaving next, next year, midway through next year, and this is a way of reminding our fellowship that these three values, these three spiritual qualities, these are part of our DNA. And we're celebrating these three. And today, having looked at faith last week, we're looking at hope this week. Faith, hope and love. What is hope from a Christian perspective? It's a word we use a lot. Hope everything's going to be okay. But let's put the spotlight on it from a Christian perspective. Hope. What is it? Hope that our, I pray, hope that our understanding of that word will be uh, deeper as a result of our time together this morning. Uh, So the reading comes from Romans chapter 5 and uh, reading the first five verses. And uh, you may like to follow on if you've got access to a Bible there. This is Paul speaking. He says, now that we've been put right with God through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has brought us by faith into this experience of God's grace in which we now live. And so we boast of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. There's that word. We also boast of our troubles because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance brings God's approval. His approval creates hope. This hope does not disappoint us. For God has poured out his love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to us. We're going to pray in a moment. I know many of you have been asking about how the funeral went in Perth this week with Michael's father. And I'm very pleased to say it was a very inspiring event. And I had the privilege of leading that service. Michael will be returning with Kirsty this week. So continue to surround those guys and Michael's mother. Karen in, in prayer at this time but we praise God that that whole thing went so well it was a great privilege to have Toby one of our elders was also present and uh, we represented uh, Northside in a, 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 I believe a fitting way and the, the family really appreciated it so let's uh, join in prayer shall we? Well Father God we thank and praise you for all we've experienced so far in this service the words of these beautiful songs the opportunity to greet each other the prayer we thank you for all that's about to happen in the service as well. We thank you for, the, for the, the message from your word we're about to receive, for the opportunity for communion, ministry time, still so much more of your spirit's movement to experience in this service. We pray that we may have eyes wide open, spiritual eyes wide open. May we not miss a thing. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Now here's a question for you. What do these four rescues have in common. There are moments in, in, uh, in history when there were great rescues taking place. First one is Charles Bullimore. Remember Charles Bullimore? He was the uh, round-the-world solo yachtsman who found himself deep in the Southern Ocean. 
And he was rescued after, I think it was three days and three nights in an air pocket in an upturned vessel with waves smashing against the hull, winds howling. Can you imagine three days in an air pocket? And you may remember that famous footage when the, the Navy, good opportunity, good segue to Navy celebration weekend, the Navy rescued him. And you may remember on the, on the little life raft, he, he reached across and he gave a kiss to the naval officer who rescued him. I think I'd want to kind of hug the guy and, and probably kiss him incessantly as well if I'd been through that same experience. Well, that was 1997. Can you believe that? What about the rescue of Brent Webb and Todd Russell from, the, uh, from that mine down in Tasmania, the Beaconsfield mine? How, how long ago do you reckon that was? 2006. Seven years ago. Amazing, isn't it? Time flies. And those guys, you know, that famous scene where they clocked off, you know, and uh, looked pretty good after being down in that mine for many days. Uh, It was an amazing moment of rescue. What about the crew of Apollo 13, 1970, when the the incident that gave rise to that famous quote, Houston, we have a problem. And uh, we lost contact with them for quite some time and the, it was pretty tense moments there at Mission Control. And what about the rescue of Stuart Diver, uh, the, uh, the survivor of the Threadbow disaster, with the, uh, the, uh, the mudslide down there. And uh, do you remember where you were for that? I, I was in a particular spot for that rescue. I was in a Myers store in Adelaide. I was in the television section. And so the footage came up of the rescue and there were like about 50 television sets to watch. So I'll never forget that moment because it had incredible television coverage for me and he was a much relieved man. Well, these were all very dramatic rescues. I think we'd agree. The people of the world held their breath. We waited, we wondered, and there was tremendous elation when the rescues were were, were successful. Now, here's the question. What do all of these rescues have in common? Well... The thing I'm thinking of is that when they got to tell their story, everybody involved in each of these rescues said they never gave up hope. They never gave up hope. They all clung tenaciously to the belief they would be rescued. And it's impossible to calculate the impact that belief was to have on their ultimate rescue. What's the old saying? You can go a certain number of days without food, a certain number of days without water, but you can't go more than a few moments without hope. Now, in everyday life, hope is that intangible force. It's that emotion that enables us to rise above all kinds of setbacks, disappointments and, and failures. It's a virtue. It's a quality of life that is it's kind of hard to describe in words. But one thing is sure. When we are devoid of hope, when we lose all hope, when we're tempted to completely give up, the results can be catastrophic. Would we agree? I mean, uh, that can have severe implications for our mental and our physical health, our mental stability. Uh, A sense of hopelessness and futility, particularly among young men in this nation, sadly, tragically, that's a contributing factor. A sense of hopelessness and futility is a contributing factor to the startling and and shocking statistics we have with um, suicide and my own family. Um, with a cousin of mine has been affected in that way. It's just horrific. So whilst hope is a quality, it's a virtue, it's an emotion, which is hard to define in popular usage, for the Christian, hope is a vital component to our walk with God. 
It's, it's absolutely essential. It's at the very heart of our relationship with Jesus. As Paul says, it's one of the big three that will remain forever. Faith, hope and love. You see, friends, I believe hope is not only a spiritual value, it's a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual gift to every believer and it comes directly from God himself. When the Bible talks about hope, it's never in the context of some vague feeling of optimism or positive thinking. It's far deeper than that. It's always used as a way of describing or celebrating a a critical aspect of our faith journey. And this morning, I'm going to let the Bible speak for the most part because I've chosen some passages on hope. I'm going to let the word of God speak to us as we explore this, this theme of hope. A number of key passages which I believe provide irrefutable evidence of the centrality and the significance of hope in our, in our Christian journey. As we allow the Bible to speak, uh, my prayer is we will quickly realise the part that hope has played, is playing in the life of this church. And in your life, I hope and trust as an individual Christian. Here's the first thing. We are called to hope. It might sound obvious, but that's the one that I want to focus on first. We are called to hope. In Ephesians 1, Paul is waxing eloquent as he encourages the, the Ephesian Christians to, to know more of the presence and the power of God in their lives. And that's, that whole chapter 1 is a powerful chapter on that theme. And then in verse 18, and you know this verse so well, many of you, look what he says. He says, I ask that your minds may be open to see his light so that you will know what is the hope to which he has called you. I ask that your minds may be open to see his light so you'll know what is the hope to which he has called you. Friends, every Christian is called to be a person of hope. This is not the prerogative of the super spiritual, the famous authors, the famous preachers, the people who we know have got heaps of faith and and they are people of hope. No, this is for everybody. This is part of our calling in Jesus Christ, to be people of hope. It's, it's an essential component to the DNA of any church that wants to make an impact in the world, that wants to be effective for God. You see, people are looking for hope today. People want something they can cling to in all the uncertainty that's around us. Christians and Christian churches are meant to be centres of hope. I can never understand why churches go down the pathway of being you know, so negative or so judgmental, or telling people how bad they are and where they've gone wrong. Most people know that. They're wanting hope in the midst of their struggles. Northside has always been known as the Church of Hope. And I believe we will be always known as that. Here's the second thing. We are strengthened by hope. As everyone here knows, life can be pretty difficult at times. In surprising and unexpected ways, disappointments, setbacks, they come, they go, and they rob us of strength. They just rob us, drain us of energy and strength. For the most part, there's no rhyme nor reason why these tough times happen. I've said from this pulpit many times that my prayer in life is not that I may have an easy life. I've had a very blessed life in many ways, but like you, I've had my moments of struggle. But my prayer is not, oh God, please keep me from struggle and pain. Like, why should I pray for that when it doesn't seem to happen to too many others? So I don't pray for an easy life, but I do pray to be a strong person. You know, and I think that's that seems to, I think that's where the where the key lies. It, it, it avoids huge disappointments. Like, God, what are you doing this? Well, no, that's life. Don't pray for an easy life. Pray to be a strong. Person. So many biblical writers seem to share this viewpoint, by the way. So I'm, 
I'm in good company. Uh, let's go to Psalm 31. Psalm 31, verses, uh, verse 24. Um, Psalm 31, verse 24. Look at this. Be strong, says the psalmist. Be courageous, all you that hope in the Lord. Be strong. Be courageous. All you that hope in the Lord. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, the very passage we read just a moment ago. Let me refresh your memory on a couple of those verses. We also boast of our troubles because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance brings God's approval. His approval creates hope. This hope does not disappoint us. Now, friends, as we know, Paul was no armchair commentator when it came to struggles. When it came to hardship, I mean, he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he had shipwrecks, he had criticism, he had people who deserted him. I mean, he was embroiled in trouble the whole time. So when he talks about hope, he's not tucked away in a a lofty ivory tower somewhere, pontificating from a church headquarters in downtown Ephesus. I mean, he's right on the forefront, he's right on on the front line of the spiritual battlefield. But it seems that his ability to cope with adversity... It seems that his level of spiritual and emotional strength increased commensurately with his hope in the risen Christ. That's the pattern through all of his writings. You know, these days when I read, when I read passages about the strength available through hope in Christ, I go back to the city of Nîmes, the French city of Nîmes, N-I-M-E-S. Some of you heard me share this story before. Nîmes is the, it's the hometown of Valérie Forestier, uh, for, for starters. So stand up and take notice because Valérie is one of our much loved members here. And uh, Nîmes is, uh, is, among other things, it's a city where the, most, the best preserved Roman Colosseum exists. It's, it's streets ahead of the one in Rome, which is kind of falling down. Not as big, but it's beautifully preserved. It has the full 360 wall, and it's, it's gorgeous. And it's the centre these days for bullfighting. It's the only place in France where they have bullfights. But as you do the tour, and you've got the headphones in, and you're walking around, and they tell you about all the gladiatorial combat that took place, and it's all pretty gory and Pretty, you know, the Roman games and stuff we've all heard about before, and it's pretty shocking. But then, in the midst of this purely secular commentary, comes this little reference. They say, and in the first century, in this arena, thousands and thousands of Christians were martyred for their faith. And, and you kind of get a lump in your throat, and you gosh, you know, wow. And then it says, nothing the Romans could do could stop the spread of the Christian faith. This is purely secular. And then you realise you're standing on holy ground. And you realise you are in a place where people by their thousands somehow found the strength because of their hope in Christ not to renounce their faith even in the face of the most horrific forms of death. And you just you humbly wonder, could I do that? You know? And I guess you'd, you'd never know, as they never knew, until they were put in that exact spot. Very inspiring moment. Something else. We find peace through hope. Turning back to the Psalms, Psalm 42, verse 11. And friends, this Psalm, Psalm 42, verse 11, this is, a, this is a, I want you to get into this Psalm during the week if you, if, if you can. This is a great Psalm. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, like many of the Psalms, it starts off in a fairly depressing way. It's the one that, actually, it's actually first, verse one is one we used to sing to. As the deer longs for a stream of cool water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, the living God. And then he gets a little bit sad. He says, day and night I cry. 
Tears are my only food. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Tears are my only food. Have you had moments when you could identify with that? And then he says, My heart breaks when I remember the past, when I went, to the, went with the crowds to the house of God and led them as they walked along, happy crowds, singing, shouting praise to God. We, we, we feel, the commentators feel, that this is a, a psalm written by a guy who was caught up in the, in the exile. About 600 BC, all the Jews were carted off to Babylon and he's remembering what, what life was like when they were all able to worship freely but now they're in captivity. And so it's a, it's a very sad psalm. But then here comes the thing. Midway through this psalm, quite out of the blue, as though the guy has a sudden flash of insight. Then check it, Psalm 42. Verse 5, he says, Why am I so sad? Why am I so troubled? I will put my hope in God. And once again, I will praise him, my saviour and my God. This comes right out of the blue. In the midst of all this lament and melancholy, why am I so sad? Why am I? I will pray. It's a fantastic turnaround. I spoke to an interstate friend just recently who, uh, whose husband left, left her after 30 years of marriage. And I knew she'd had some really tough times. And uh, I asked the question, how are, you, how are you going? How are you doing? And she said, well, you know, it was pretty tough and it's not over yet. But she said, I've made a decision. She said, I've really got peace. I've really got peace, she said, because I've decided I'm just going to move on in God's strength in the hope that he is going before me and it's going to be okay. I'm going to be given the strength to manage whatever the future holds because of the hope I have in him. She said it. It was fantastic. It's not over for her, but you see, she's made a decision. You see, friends, what happens in this psalm is amazing. Because having said that in verse 5, why am I so sad? Why am I so troubled? He then repeats the exact same words in verse 11 to finish the psalm. doesn't happen very often in the Bible where the exact same verse, same words, is repeated again in the same little passage. But obviously that the moment of epiphany is so strong for this guy. And so in verse 11 he says, why am I so sad? Why am I so troubled? I will put my hope in God and once again I'll praise him. I've got a question for you. Are you one who identifies this morning with the first part of, of the psalmist's question? Why am I so sad? Why am I so troubled? I know from a pastoral point of view, I know numbers of you are, are really struggling with some issues at the moment. And like I said, that's, that's life. You know, that's how it goes. But can I as lovingly and as pastorally as I can, can I urge you not only to identify with the first part, of what the psalmist says. But can I urge you to identify with the second part? I will put my hope in God. And once again, I will praise him. Can you identify with that? Can you make a decision about that today? You see, friends, hope is not wishful thinking. It's a prayerful decision. It was for that friend of mine, and it is for anybody who moves forward in hope. It's a prayerful decision going way beyond just a feeling. Here's another component to our hope in Christ. We endure through hope. Uh, and you'd expect me to, to make reference to one of the best-known passages in the Bible with the word hope in it. It's Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not faint. 
Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You see, our hope in Christ is a powerful source of renewal when we're tempted to give up. It enables us to rise when we look like falling. It enables us to keep running when we feel like stopping. That's this hope. It's it's an enduring hope. It's the hope, it's the conviction that in every situation, God will have the final word. He'll have the final word and that word will be good. It may not be a solution. Not all problems can be solved. But here's the great thing. All problems can be managed. And some of you are incredible examples of that. Your problem hasn't been solved. You've still got that disability. You've still got that pain. You've still got that hurt. But by his grace, you're managing. That's how it is in many situations of life. God will have the final word and it will be good. For those who weren't here last week, I mentioned about some of the incidents in this church, in this church's history. When particularly in the development of this complex, when things are a little, little tough, a little rough, and, and not that we were ever tempted to give up, never once, but you could have been. You know, you're looking at the situation, somebody could have said, you know what, maybe it's time to walk away from this deal. It's looking just a bit too hard. But, you know, it was the certainty that God's plan and purpose would prevail. That's what got us through. It was that hope that his ultimate plan and purpose that that enabled us to keep moving forward there are two more aspects to hope i want to cover them quickly number one we are destined for eternity through hope the bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made we are creations of the living god i've never been able to identify with the atheist viewpoint you know the the hardened atheist You you don't you don't come across many of them but you do occasionally I found you don't come across many of them toward the end of life. That's one thing I have found. Uh, but the hardened atheist who says, well, you know, it's just your life, and then you hit the wall, and that's it, over. Like, I mean, I've never understood the logic of that, because, like, we are so fearfully and wonderfully made. If that is the case, or if that was the case, it would mean that our three score years and ten, if you make it that far, is just an exercise in futility, just like Nothing. What kind of crazy God would do that? just doesn't make any sense. Of course, we know something better. On the basis of the scriptures, 1 Peter 1, chapter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, look at this, he's given us a new birth into a living hope. Powerful stuff on hope. He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, we are people of the resurrection. And we don't don't celebrate that on Easter Sunday. I mean, this is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment experience. We are people of the resurrection. The one whom we follow, Jesus Christ, has shattered the powers of our ultimate enemy, which is death. Shattered the powers. Death holds no fear now for those in Jesus Christ. How's that for, in terms of reconnecting with loved ones who've passed over? How's that in facing your own Mortality with confidence. No fear in death. It's fantastic. I've seen the difference so many times in my life over the years of doing funerals and so on. And so what were the words of Jesus? I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they be dead, yet shall they live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. When you can say those words and not just sort of words you expect at a funeral, but words that you really believe, that's your hope. Man, that is, you, you're ready to live. You are ready to live. Jesus also said, because I live, you will live also. What an incredible reassurance of the hope, yes, that the reality, the certainty of eternal life for all those who believe. Friends, the final aspect of hope 
And it really is a summary of all the preceding points, and it's this. We are motivated. We are sustained in our journey with God through hope. It brings the whole thing together. Uh, It's beautifully expressed by the writer to the Hebrews. Uh, Chapter 10. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 23. Look what he says. Chapter 10, verse 23 of Hebrews. Let us hold on firmly to the hope we profess, because we can trust God to keep his promises. Let us hold on firmly. Some of the versions say, let us hold unswervingly. Let us hold tightly. And well we might, because our hope in Christ is at the heart of our calling. He strengthens us, hope strengthens us. It gives us peace, it enables us to endure. It's a guarantee of eternal life. It sustains and motivates us in our walk with God. How good is that? You know, friends, our message is essentially one of hope. Always has been, always will be. And hope is more than a feeling. It's more than wishful thinking. It's more than some vague notion of, oh, I hope everything's going to be okay. It is so much more than these things. Our hope in Christ is a spiritual gift to every believer. It helps to form the very essence, the very heart of who we are. As Paul says in Romans 5, we read it earlier, look at this one more time. Trouble produces endurance. Endurance brings God's approval. His approval creates hope. And I really love this. This hope does not disappoint us. How's that for an understatement? Ooh, this hope does not disappoint us. Really? I mean, what a promise. What an understatement, but what a beautiful statement of of conviction and of faith. This hope does not disappoint us. Friends, we are meant to be, as individuals and as a church, we're meant to be beacons of hope. Like you know people, I know people, who are just really looking for hope, something beyond what they're experiencing now. Um, Kelly made reference to it earlier. Just in simple ways, you can be a beacon of hope, just in the way you treat people, just the courtesy you show to people. And as we get into the deeper stuff of life and death and soul and issues, eternal issues, we can be a beacon of hope like nobody else can. This week, be a beacon of hope in how you live and how you talk and just the way you conduct yourself. Be a beacon of hope for the people in in your circle of influence. In my experience, most people desperately need it. And we have every reason to be people of hope. Celebrate those reasons this week. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Well, Father God, we thank and praise you that your Bible, your holy book, contains so many references to hope. And as we look at these in a concentrated way, we get a, an understanding of the importance of hope. It's strategic place in who we are as people. It's part of our calling. And it's always been and always will be a central feature of this church. If we call people to a message of hope and renewal and new life in Christ, may that always be at the very heart of who we are and what we're all about. We'll need your strength for that. Need the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We claim that right now in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, as we gather for communion, we're basically celebrating hope. The hope we have in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his promise of of return. It's all here. This is the hope we have in Christ. And so it's an open communion. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come. It also marks the beginning of our ministry time, our prayer ministry time, something in your own life, something for somebody else you want to pray for, a point of thanksgiving, you know the deal. 
if you're a regular here and if you're one of our guests, we'd love to pray with you. So uh, all is made, made ready. You come, let's commune with, with the God of our hope in Christ.